Welcome to Lives, a show exploring our experiences in the world and how we might live well. I'm Stuart Chittenden, and my guest today is the ceramic artist Richard Chung. In the show, Chung talks about how he became an artist, what draws him to clay in particular, and the themes he explores in his work. Chung also talks about his immigrant family history, existing at the edges, and how that, as well as the practice and profession of art, has shaped who he is today. The great thing about clay is I'm more interested actually in making the stuff rather, you know, I wanted to look good at the end, but when it's done, it's kind of, all right, get out of here. I want to get my hands dirty again. That's where the real uh, reward is. Richard Chung was born in Honolulu, Hawaii in 1977 and raised in the California Bay Area. An artist whose primary medium is clay, Chung received a bachelor's degree from the University of California at Berkeley in 2001 under ceramic artist Richard Shaw, and then traveled to Omaha, Nebraska to work for world-renowned artist June Kaneko. Chung's work is included in the collections of public museums and private collectors, and he has shown his work nationally. Along with art making, Chung teaches art through various organizations, both public and private. Richard Chung, welcome to Lives. Hi, Stuart. Thank you for having me. It feels like the right place to start for our conversation is for me to ask you just to share a little bit about, you know, what is your family context and what stands out to you when you think back to your childhood? Yeah, um, so uh, I was born in Hawaii, and I don't remember any of that. We moved to uh, California, my family. I have an older brother. He's uh, eight years older than me. And we moved to California, San Jose, and then later to Oakland. And my parents were kind of your typical immigrants, you know, um, hardworking. Um, in a sense, they try to be their own boss, you know, self-employed, getting their own businesses. Um, and uh, I was always part of helping, helping them, even when I was younger. Um, so I think maybe that helped with building some kind of work ethic and um, whether it's stuck or not, I'm not sure. I, I try to hope it does, you know, on, on, on most days. And, but uh, I guess some of the interesting things was, you know, being a, a, a immigrant parent, having immigrant parents, um, we, we ended up living in a predominantly black neighborhood. Um, and so from my earliest memories, I, I felt like um, we kind of touched on this where, you know, I wasn't, I was always a little different from everyone else I was surrounded with. Um, uh, when we moved, when I was in high school, we moved to a more affluent town in the Bay, uh, Piedmont. And there I was still kind of an, an outsider. Um, and you had mentioned that, you know, I was kind of like an edge, like I was on the edge and that I thought about that since we met and I like that better than outside because I don't feel like I was really excluded but I felt like I wasn't in the middle of it either but it was a good place to be I think and, and that's where I guess I feel comfortable and I think as I grew up I kind of s- started seeking that that position where I'm on the edge I think I like that because I feel like if you're in the middle you're getting insulated from other things. Um, and being on the edge, you can maybe see a, l- a little bit wider, broader view of, of things. Yeah, I think that's had a big influence where, you know, you don't have to 
totally fit in wherever you are. You can still be yourself and still fit in, but you don't have to totally um, assimilate. Could you share just a little bit more about you know your parents' work ethic and you know what they were doing and and, and perhaps how that shaped I don't know how you see the world and how you approach your own behavior in the world. You know, my parents they what they did is is not uncommon with, with that maybe that time that that generation of this selfless sacrificing for their children and the, the, the hard long hours of work. And I had my issues, right? You know, I want this, I want that when you're little and they can't do it. You know, I want these shoes. Everyone's got these shoes. You're not going to give me these shoes. I'm going to get made fun of, blah, blah, blah. While I was thinking about those shoes, I realized even though they weren't giving me those shoes, they were, everything they were doing was kind of for me and my brother. It, it really felt that way. Looking back now, it really feels that way. My father passed away a couple of years ago. My mom is doing well. She goes to church. She stays busy. So it's really great to see her enjoy, you know, enjoy life a little more and take things in. Um, that that sacrifice, though, is was a. Uh, it's like I can't match it. <laughs> it's like too. Maybe I just grew up in this time where it's like I'm a little more self-serving than they are, which I feel a little bad about it, you know. But at the same time, what I did see my parents go through with all that sacrifice is I kind of felt like they didn't have. Um, well, maybe they had in their own way, but like, you know, I didn't see them enjoying their hard work. And in my situation, I feel like, you know, I don't want to end up that way where I, I don't get a chance to enjoy it. So I'm kind of more cruising along, you know, trying to trying to make progress. But they were just straight and narrow. Let's just hard work. Let's just get it done. Let's just keep growing and try to make things better. You were telling me just off air that your daughter's just turned 16. And, and so instead of now being the son thinking back to your parents, you're probably thinking to some degree about how you parent. I don't know if, as you reflect on the lessons you learned from your parents, how you're thinking about being a parent now to your daughter. Yeah. yeah. Well, obviously, I, I try to take what they gave me in try to think the parts I think were effective and good and try to use those and the things that didn't work for me from their authority. I try to adjust that because there's still a good reason they had that point of view. It's weird because it's all, it's all kind of context and reactionary. It's um, the things I, I try to tell my daughter. It, it doesn't quite work out all the ways because I feel like it's too much of a lecture. And my problem is I, I'm trying to throw a life lesson into everything. Dad, I, uh, you know, I got a good grade in school. Well, you see what happens when you, you start, you know, she doesn't want to hear that, you know. So, you know, I try to pull back. Um, it, it's just amount of fine. It's a matter of paying attention and figure out the right amount of pressure and um, the right kind of things that will motivate her. But, you know, gosh, there's so many blanks still. I, I still don't. There's so many blind spots that, you know, we haven't figured out. And I guess that's typical, but you always think you can be doing better, right? When was that moment or what were those experiences when you realized, I'm an artist? My first memories were watching the cartoons and seeing any kind of art, but cartoons and actually statues of, of people. And I, I just remember thinking, I want to do that. I want to do something like that. I want to create that. So I would do my own versions of comics and comic books and sculptures with uh, extra 
garbage junk we had, you know, cardboards from the store, you know, cardboard boxes and, and paper and um, and that, that definitely has something to do with where I'm at today, you know, just trying to problem solve <laughs> on that level um, and trying to be creative, working with my hands. And even to this day, it's a weird thing. I hate to admit this, but I'll see a lot of great art and I don't have the desire to like acquire a piece. I have the desire to like, I want to try and do that. I want to make a piece that looks like that's very cool. I want to, I want to experience that process that feeds into me trying to be an artist and, and, and making work, being creative. I understand that you used to create cartoon books when you were a child. Yeah, that, that was, so my mom, she saved these. These are, I think I was eight, seven or eight when, because um, I, I dated them. They told me to date everything, you know, and I tell all my students, date everything, because, you know, when 20 years from now, you're going to want to know when you did it. Um, but, you know, it was just getting binder paper, folding it in half, stapling them, making a little book, and drawing out a story. You know, the characters, you know, Superman was, you know, heavy on one page, and the next page, he's he's really skinny you know there's no like consistency it was just me it was just me just cranking it out um and my mom loved it she thought you know kids don't do this you know no kids don't really but you know i just you know i wanted to uh get to a place almost by any means necessary so i'll just make my own version of it you know i do remember playing in the mud a lot which is funny because i'm doing clay now with toys and just creating these environments we had a huge backyard and I really enjoyed that too. That might have been my first, the first little lead that clay might be my thing because of a, just that you know I'm a tourist too, so maybe that has something to do if it, if you if you believe that kind of stuff. I, I guess I kind of do because it's weird, you know. These coincidences they add up to something. It, it can't just all always be a coincidence. You'd mentioned that to me at your studio, this uh, anecdote about playing with mud in the mud. Uh, I think you mentioned there was an orchard and a stream. And it really seemed to be maybe too obvious looking back that, of, of course, you're a ceramicist, given that that seemed to be a childhood, not just an interest of playing in the mud, but actually shaping it and exploring what it could do. It is very, very strange that these uh, I noticed these um, parallels or, you know, this kind of like almost like this line of development from there. Um, I think part of it, too, was just trying to. F- just doing whatever I can with what I have, you know, and, you know, so if it's, it was never really too cold outside in California, but if I'm indoors, couches get pulled apart and they become, you know, the scenery, the whole living room is this battlefield for, you know, the toys. So um, yeah, it's, I guess looking back, one thing I can say is, you know, it's it's kind of what you make of it. You know, it's definitely not um, it's your attitude towards it. It's it's how you accept things. Um, I didn't have any issue playing. I didn't feel like I was missing out if I had to use mud, you know, or or couch cushions. I felt like I didn't really feel like there's a yeah, a void that, you know, I felt like my cup was very full of a, a great childhood and. Um, being able to play and all that stuff. It, it was, you know, again, my parents, they they did what parents are supposed to do, I think, or expected to do, but they did it very well. At some point, and you enjoyed playing artistically and creatively, you made a choice to go and study art mm. at a good university. 
what were the circumstances behind you coming to that choice that the full-time study of art was what you were going to pursue? Yeah. Uh, so my uh, my parents, you know, while I was growing up, obviously, you know, we're talking about jobs, future, career. And my mom um, was more of the, uh, you know, you know, going to computers or, you know, do something, you know, safe and solid. And my dad was, he was kind of the the more, you know, um, free thinking, more liberal part of it, which is funny because he was in the military in South Korea. He was uh, like a, went up to like sergeant or, you know, he had a pretty good rank, but he saw that, you know, opportunity, you know, wasn't there. He saw a lot of corruption and he wanted to get out. And um, so as I was growing up, it was my, my dad also was, uh, he liked to sing. He was really into opera. He told me um, in school or, you know, after high school, he would go to the roof of the building and sing opera and all his friends would tell him, you know, and I'm thinking like, I could never do that. You know, that's some guts, right? Um, and so it's great that I can, I have those memories because like, I know it's, you know, if there's anything to, you know, um, inheriting, you know, aspects of your parents. Maybe th that's in me too. This like, you know, I don't care what you guys think. I'm going to sing, you know. Um, and so he was always super supportive of, of my artistic activities and, and, and all that stuff. He, um, when I was a child, I would had to go to a, some kind of summer camp, summer school. And it was always it wasn't like the, you know, you, you're almost flunking math. It was more the, you know, here's an art summer school. Here's a science summer school. My mom, though, she was just like you know, get a real job, you know, don't do this. And I think with the immigrant parents, I'm seeing, I think it's a 50-50 almost, but most, you know, no, it's probably not. It, it most lean towards get a safe job. We didn't come here to bust our butt so you can like push mud around, you know, it's like, come on, you know, we're selling things for three cents here, you know, what, what do you think the profit is on that? And you want to play with mud. So I went after high school, you know, high school was academically, I kind of just, drifted off. I, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't get it. I was, you know, all the, all these great things they did for me when I got to high school, it's just kind of, gosh, I'm really not going to, I can't see myself trying too hard. Um, so I didn't have a, a good enough, you know, record grades to get into a good school. Went to a junior college um, for a couple of years and then transferred into Cal Berkeley later. And that was probably I don't think it could have been any better for me because at the junior college, I was able to take my time and just explore things and without any pressure, without any huge financial um, burden. Um, and when I was there, I was taking architecture and all these all these kind of different fields, just give them a taste. And um, I was also taking art classes, but I spent all this time in art. You know, I went to the studio. I, I wasn't in class. I would just go and hang out just because I liked the vibe and I could still work on stuff, open studio. And at a certain point, it's just like, well, you know, if I can spend all these hours here, then maybe I should just try to pursue it, you know. And, and um, you know, if it doesn't work out, whatever, you know, but give it a shot. And I uh, transferred to Berkeley and my teachers there were very encouraging um, and supportive. And I figured, you know, if you get these pros, you know, I felt like I was getting some compliments that weren't not your generic, oh, this is good, you know, kind of more like, oh, you might have a, a shot. You might actually have something. That was huge. Did yeah. you fall into 
ceramics as the practice or were you nudged by others or were you did you always know that that material was your calling when i was younger thinking about being an artist it was always like painting you know like i want to be a painter i want to do all this stuff um so in junior college taking all these different classes first clay class it was just kind of i don't know it was it was kind of done it was like i did it and like, I'm, I'm going to be here. I'm going to come back here. I like this. I like what I'm, you know, I like this material. And clay is a weird one, too, because, you know, it always has a uh, pretty nice little community uh, wherever you go. You know, people are in the clay are really into it and they're really supportive with each other. I, I didn't ever, I didn't see that as much with paint, painting or, you know, other, other uh, mediums. But clay just has a weird special camaraderie in its we're, we're in the studio in its field that was probably part of it but it was also material you know the the immediacy um i started to see its potential its characteristics and i guess you know unconsciously i just it, i was making that connection there what was it that brought you to omaha yeah so uh my professor at berkeley was uh is richard was richard shaw he's retired now he is a, a another big shot in the ceramic world he and his assistant at the time, Sue Whitmore. Should I be name dropping on, on this? Oh, is that okay? All right. <laughs> She's a professor you, at Chico do, right now. Do you now. feel the need to name drop? Do you, do you want to promote this today, Richard? Just... I feel like some people deserve. Okay, yeah. Name, yeah. Call them out then. Yeah. yeah not, not so much like, you know, go buy their stuff, but I feel like, you know. But go buy their stuff. Because, yeah. Well, that too. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I didn't. There's no way, you know, I feel like I, I got to throw some names because there's no way this was all done by me. I can't just say, you know know my name and I got a lot of help um, a lot of breaks um, but uh, they, they they know June you know all the big shots kind of know each other and June's always looking for assistance June can echo here in Omaha um, and I saw Sue the the assistant at the time at Berkeley and she saw June he said I'm looking for people she recommended me she told me hey I got I found your job it's in Omaha and I thought she was joking I was like yeah funny you mean like I have to move to Omaha kind of job, <laughs> you know? And um, I wasn't familiar with June's work. I, I looked it up, then I saw, oh, I remember seeing it in the slideshow and, you know, dug in a little bit more and realized pretty quick, I guess I'm moving to Omaha, you know, because I can't pass this up. Uh, so that's what got me out here. I graduated in 2001 and I was here in the following January. Um, grad school was not wasn't on my radar at that point. I remember a lot of the buzz around school was, you know, you don't really want to go to grad. Sometimes it's not good to go to grad school right after. You want to have a little space and grow a little bit and digest what you learned. Um, I didn't want to go through that. Something about that. I didn't want to go through that process again of applying and then classes. And, and I thought this was a real world, you know, internship, apprenticeship, however you want to call it. But I felt like it would it would be way more educational than uh and I could still always go to grad school after but um uh it was something I couldn't pass up. What have you learned? How have you been informed? How has your art, your personality, been informed by the time you spent with June Kaneko? Yeah, yeah. I I don't know if I can articulate all of it, but the things I do know, um, just being in this environment of you know this really high end, high level production um part of it was seeing how hard he worked how organized he was how much he planned 
that was a great lesson to see and experience and be a part of. And it became part of my, you know, it got in my blood. Hopefully, you know, you know, I have these standards now that kind of live up to his where, and it's great, you know, you want to have high standards for yourself. Um, the other great thing was I saw that it wasn't this uh, overdramatic artist thing. You know, he was a human too, you know, so that was a good lesson too, that you don't have, you're, these guys aren't, they're not like superstar, you know, alien beings. They're, they're just people. They they just do their craft really well and and they put the time and effort into it. Um, and they respect their work a lot. I think that that's kind of, you know, they, they have pride. You know, he had he has pride in ownership. And I guess you have to if you're going to ask that much for, for a piece, you know, as far as the sale goes. And uh, um, and then there's a lot of just logistical things, you know, how to organize, how to how to budget, how to how to treat your space well so it's efficient. Um, those are all good things because, you know, the, the efficiency is a big thing with, with June Studio was, you know, we're trying not to waste too many of our movements, too, too much time. So, you know, if you place a thing next to that thing, it, it might not work as good or, you know, it's going to be better if you place them next to each other because you're going to save one minute every time you do that task. And over a year, that's like three hours you just saved. You know, it's that kind of thinking. Um, and uh, yeah, that's that's uh it's invaluable it, it, it applies for everything not just art making you know just anything trying to be efficient and and trying to see the whole system you're working in um from a broad view uh you know that's maybe another thing where um you try to take in the broad view and you also you know work up your skill to see the details and how they all add up and which one has influence over this this big thing what, what's important what's okay we can let that one go um, you know, it's a lot of dis decision making and, you know, discriminating what, what, what's important at, at a certain time, because, uh, the reality is, you know, it's time is limited. So, um, something's going to have to get, you know, there's always going to be a trade off somewhere. So trying to make the best, uh, decision and, you know, and being okay if you're wrong to, to, to just learn from it. So it occurs to me that many artists, a former guest on this show, Tom McAllister, who works with wood, talked about how the wood would speak to him and, and inform him about how the wood wanted to be treated. I think you said something similar about that with clay. You have a conversation with it. Would you talk just a little bit more about that relationship with clay yeah. as you're working with it? Yeah. In college, you know, you're taking all these classes. Wood was my one of my other favorite uh, mediums, but I think the thing about clay is the immediacy is is a big thing. The tact, you know, you could feel um, you could feel it with your hands. With wood or metal or painting, you know, there's a tool between you and the medium. There's a chisel, uh, there's a brush, sandpaper, whatever uh, a saw. Um, so. So there's something about me being able to touch the medium and when I can poke my finger in the clay, it makes a hole and right away. And as I think my work developed, um, I really, I think my work is strongest when I'm more expressionistic, more, a little more, I don't want to say abstract, but you know, where I kind of start altering the human form where it's not, you know, all the information isn't there, it's suggested. and. That's where I think my work is the strongest. It's also the kind of the 
right now it's kind of hard for me to get tap into that because it's more based off of instinct than than uh you know conscious decision making um but the clay i think that's the main thing for me is the immediacy i can do so much with my hands before i actually have to pull out a tool and you know do a detail or hollow it out um and for whatever reason that's that's where i feel most comfortable more, most i don't want to say in control but where I, I i have results so maybe it's i'm just not patient and i can't wait but <laughs> um I think I like the immediacy. I like, and I also like that clay when you, when I'm doing it well, when I think I'm doing strong work, uh, my finger marks, the scratches, they're, they're there and they tell the story. You know, this is not, uh, I, I'm not being original with this. This is the, the expressionist kind of idea. Like you see, you can almost picture what the person did to do it. And other, other artwork, which is great, which, where you can't, you know, it's like everything's hidden, the brushstrokes, you know, you can't, it's all modeled perfectly. It looks like a machine made it. I totally appreciate that. It's just my my personal preferences. I like seeing the evidence of the person in, in the art. You know, that's where I connect to the most. Um, so clay allows that, you know, I can, you, you know, those are my fingers who did that. You know, my you could tell my palm pushed that this way or that way. And, you know, in the end, the sculpture becomes just like a uh, it's like residue of that that process of my that moment when I was playing with this it's it's just what's left over um the great thing about clay is I'm more interested actually in making the stuff rather you know I wanted to look good at the end but when it's done it's kind of all right get out of here I want to get my hands dirty again that's where the real uh, reward is with that said I don't know how many pieces are, are trash maybe half the work I end up keeping before it even gets fired. It, it just allows me to also make the mistakes too. And cause I need those, I need the mistakes. Mistakes are, are just as important as a, I want to do this. Oh, I accomplished it. But the mistake, if I'm not making mistakes then you're not really, you're not really trying, you're, you're not really pushing yourself. So, and that's not, that's not a new thought. That's pretty common or not common, but. You've shared with me that failure is an integral part of your practice and that as you're making your art it's really just a movement from one discovery to another discovery to another discovery and an inherent part of that is failure but would you talk a little bit more about this idea of discovery twinned with failure as yeah. you work yeah um this happens a lot in, in when i'm teaching uh you know when students fail or make a mistake they're they're bummed out it's a killer and at this point, it's like, as long as it's not a mistake you've made before, you know, or a bunch of times, it is a benefit because it's telling you exactly where you need to work on. It tell, it tell, it's telling you right here is a weakness. There's something to focus on right there. It's not, so, you know, if I make a mistake, I have a couple choices. I can either try to solve it or go around it, right? Um, so depending, you know, I'm not saying I, I take everyone head on you know sometimes i'll go around um but but the real value is in figuring out it's problem solving again um and so yeah the mistakes you know gosh it is you know failure it's just stigma there's so much like it's not a negative i don't see it as a negative thing i th think it's part of the process it's it's going to happen whether you like it or not so 
I don't see a point in fighting fighting it because you know it's it's just what it is. It's a waste of energy to to be upset when I make a mistake. It's better to put that energy towards how do I solve it, how do I avoid it. Um, um, and then when something works, you go, well, that worked. How did that? Where did where did that come from? How did that? What was I thinking when that worked? Can I do that again later? Um, and so, so this is where I kind of adopt a lot of this from, uh, like from music, where you know, improvise improvisational music, where the idea is I'm really making this the sculpture I'm making right now. Yes, I'm hoping to complete it and maybe hopefully put it up for sale. But the other purpose for it is that it's going to help me with the piece I make right after it. Uh, this is practice for the next piece. And then when I start the next one, that's just practice for the next one. Um, I was really lucky in college. Someone had in their studio, one of the grad students had a, um, a quote up on the wall. It said, uh, the journey is the goal. That's what I needed to hear at that time. Because even back then, it, it, it clicked and I started basing a lot of my uh, values off of that. You don't want to try to reach a plateau. You, because, you know, looking back, like, who long, who knows if you're even going to reach it? It might take your whole life, and who knows if you'll even get there. So what's going to happen in the meantime? How do you how do you appreciate that, or how do you deal with it? And that's why I, I feel like I've been successful since college, because I just figured, hey, my job as a student is just to make work. So I'm going to go make work, and my pay is a good grade. And so in college, I loved it. It was just, I am an artist. This is my, my responsibility is making art. And then... Later at June's, okay, I'm doing his stuff and I can do my stuff on the side. I think I got lucky where I can appreciate this this process, this journey, and I never felt like a, I don't know. You know, when I first started selling work, nothing felt different except a bigger bank account and more space. But I didn't feel like I was an artist all of a sudden. You know, I didn't feel like, oh, I, I've made it. You know, let me get my beret and my, and my cigarette. So it was a very weird. The first few sales were very strange because it was like, well, I feel like the same person I did like before I got this check. What's going on? Aren't I supposed to like develop something, some kind of weird ego? Or I don't know. I mean, I'm sure the ego's there, but but you know something. Uh, so with clay, that that also just helps me, and it mirrors life too. You know, enjoying the moment. I guess that's that. It's all the same thing. It's enjoying the moment. It's enjoying the process. You know, the the journeys, the goal. Um, it's all similar stuff. Not not or, original at all. I'm not trying to claim like a, I'm the first one to say this. You know, I'm just trying to uh, trying to f- pick out what I hear other smart people say and, and see if it applies to me or helps me. You've been working for more than two decades, and your work has clearly evolved over that time. Where did you start? What was the first, as it were, topic or theme or type of work you started to explore? Uh, I think what it was, um, let's see, I want to the thing I'm thinking about is in, while I was at junior college at uh, DVC, Diablo Valley College, was uh, our first assignment to make a bust. And I did an Albert Einstein bust, you know, because he's very, you know, even if you don't, even if you're not close to it, people are going to know who it is. You know, it's one of those great faces. Um, But, you know, it did pretty good. You you know, it wasn't like Albert Einstein's cousin, you know, you kind of figured it was, it was him. And I remember as a child, it was like, I love statues. I want to do that one day. And as I got a little bit older, trying to draw, you know, it was, it was difficult for me to draw like, you know, uh, real likeness. Um, but I, I can do it now. It just, it just took me a while. I didn't have that innate, like spontaneous talent of that. I had to work at it. Um, 
And the figure, you know, when I got to, uh, when I transferred to Berkeley and I was still making figures and I felt like that was my, my thing. I nothing else interested me. Um, abstract work, I do like it, but, you know, part of it was, I was thinking like, you know, I want to make stuff that hopefully people will like, obviously. But I also, you know, at Berkeley, a lot of people, you know, it was a lot of this um, more heady installations and, and video art, like performance art. And for me, I, 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 I'm not knocking it, but it, that wasn't my thing. I was kind of more of a, I guess, tradition. I want to make something that you probably put on a pedestal or hang on the wall. So then I realized at that point, I wanted to do the figure because everyone says it's the hardest thing to do. That was part of it. My ego was in there like, all right, do the hardest thing, you know, go, go do what everyone says the hardest. You know, I saw too many movies where like the guy's like, I'm going to go beat up the biggest guy first. So it was like that ego thing. I'm going to do the hardest thing. And I'm not, I know I'm not very good at it. So uh, it's going to take me a while to convince people that I know what I'm doing. And I just enjoyed the figure. It's just, I don't know. It's just what speaks to me. It's what kind of gets me going. And even back then I was thinking, I remember seeing some of this work that my peers were doing in college and a lot of it was very conceptual. And again, I appreciated that, but I felt like it also started excluding viewers where it's just like, you know, you know, the ivory tower, the esotericness, you know, of it, it was, I appreciate it, but at the same time, I, I didn't want to be, I didn't want to go that route. I wanted something that someone who doesn't know anything about art could appreciate and someone who has a, huge art history field can appreciate. I'm, that's my big goal is to, you know, have these layers. I also want to allow people to basically tell me it sucks too. So so someone who never goes to a museum can go look at my figure and they know what a figure looks like. So they go, well, that doesn't look like a whatever. I, I need more of this negative energy, I feel like right now, because it's been a little too, uh, everyone's been kind of very complimentary and I feel like there's a big uh, trick, big punchline coming <laughs> soon. <laughs> With that said, my last, my first and last uh, show, my first and most recent show, uh, there's a comment on Facebook. It was just like, I don't like this. It actually made me feel good. It's like, okay, finally, someone's like saying, okay, there's someone who's being on it. You know, it kind of speaks to me in some way about you use failure and one piece as a precursor to learn to move forward to the next piece. It's a, it's a perpetual journey of growth. Yeah, I, I hope so. Yeah, and failure, you know, you know, I, I am kind of one of my, I guess, downsides, my weaknesses is I can hold a grudge <laughs> and be bitter. Um, and then I also, I want to, I hate to admit this, but I, I think when people tell me like, oh, you can't do this, you know, or you're not good, that might motivate me more than other, you know, that's some childhood stuff that I probably should analyze, but I get more hyped when I feel like I've been wronged and the energy just it's a lot more energy um it's probably not a good thing but you are exploring now what I would think of as temporal examination and and you have figures in motion it's almost like imagining a snapshot of a figure but over a 15 30 second duration which is really hard to describe on air. Why don't I ask you to describe these movement pieces that you're yeah. creating? Yeah, the, uh, the movement pieces, you know, right now the series has, a lot of it's focused on uh, what appears to be someone walking. And that's a more kind of obvious version of 
you know, my 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 thought behind the series. Um, but I, I I just labeled it the motion series because it's you know it looks like someone's moving, someone's walking. You, you see like different stages of the walk. It's almost like if you do a time lapse photo, or it is like if you do a time lapse photo, but in a three D version. Um, this actually. Maybe I shouldn't admit this either, but it actually came from a college assignment that Richard Shaw gave us. And it was just show show time, show something temporal, show time passage. And I was, you know, college. And I remember that that was this kind of the time where I started getting these thoughts of like, what is, you know, what does life mean? What is time? What does time mean? And then I realized, OK, so a lot of the art I think we see is, are these a painting or a sculpture is a, it's like a snapshot. You know, it's like an instant. It's like one second, whatever, a fraction of a second, a moment in time. And I thought, well, you know, this motion thing could be this, you know, we're expanding that. This walking figure, you know, sometimes I joke around, I want to name a piece like, you know, 15 seconds. And then you can know that it took them one minute, you know, why are they walking so slow or whatever. But hopefully to kind of draw out a static piece that sits there, but for it to represent uh, more than a, a moment in time. Um, where it gets a little more heady, where I want it to go more is about where it's not just physical, different states of physical being, but also mental, mental states, how quickly, you know, your mental state can change depending on the environment, the context, who you're talking to. Um, one thing I, I remember, this is, you know, this is kind of what I connect to this a lot is, um, waiting in line at a grocery store and seeing the person in front of me get in and the clerk says, hey, how are you today, blah, 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 blah. And I go up and they go, hi. And it's like, what, what, ha what happened? Why, what, you know, why are you different? You know, So a lot of that was examination of like, why do we treat people differently? Why do we behave differently? What, what, what changed? You'd also share with me at the studio that a theme you wanted to explore was a theme around hegemony and you sort of described what you were hoping to create out of clay to explore that yeah the motion does have there is a weird little tie-in the main theme is kind of a influence free will how much control do i really have i don't want to speak for everyone how many decisions are based off of what i really want to do or what i think i should do to fit in the context of our society, you know, and, um, but then also part of it is just, you know, gosh, I question my decisions because it's like, is this what I really want? Or is it because that, you know, the guy in that commercial looked really cool doing it. Now I want to do, I don't, I don't know if this is what, I, you know, so I try to, you know, I want to question that. I want to do what I, you know, I want to figure out what's the most honest action I can do because um, that's when I you know I think I'll learn the most and grow the most and so the hegemony series is kind of this you know I'm not trying to f the other thing is I'm not trying to like answer anything I'm just maybe hoping I find the right questions you know I'm not even sure if I'm asking the right questions a lot of times um, so it's just this idea of like you know you know, these, ob you know, I have all these, it's almost like a, the High Gemini series is going to be a little bit more of like a 3D collage, you know, where it's figures and then like objects and, and scale and perspective, you know, hopefully will be morphed like a mural, kind of like a mural that would l open, expand it up so where I, I can break more rules that I've made for myself. Because, you know, a lot of my series are, 
I, I make these rules up. It's nice, you know, it has its pluses and minuses. But the idea of control with the High Germany series, it's, it's something I want to explore, but I, I need to study a little more, read a little bit more, and observe a little bit more. You also teach, as well as practice, the craft of being a ceramic artist. You teach that too. What do you try to impart your students? But also in turn, what are you learning from them and the process of teaching? Yeah. I'm just getting done with a trimester at, with Q's. So, <laughs> and I taught STEAM there. And it's funny, you know, I've, I've done that. I've done Y Arts and... You know, I'm there to teach art or science or some kind of, you know, tech. But my secret, and I'm going to tell everyone, is I'm not really – my number one goal isn't, like, letting them show them – showing them how to use an app or how to sculpt clay. I feel like my number one goal is, like, trying to instill what I think is a good attitude about creation and just – and anything, really. You know, if I'm in middle school, I might have to tell, you know – do you know why we don't hit people or whatever, you know? But then there's also, you know, when the, when the kids are challenged or they they're, they don't want to, they're too scared to try something, you know, that's not has nothing to do with, with uh, clay. It has all to do with just their confidence and, you know, their outlook. I, I work with a lot of middle school, elementary, but right now it's a lot been a lot more of the middle school age. A lot of things are happening to us when we're in that, that stage of our life. And so what I'm doing is pushing is more of... Um, the thing with the mistakes, you know, don't feel bad that you made a mistake. And I try to tell them, put in their context, whoever you think is great, cool, famous person, I guarantee you they made tons of mistakes. Also, I'm trying to get them to accept other people's differences. So instead of, oh, you're different, ha, 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 it's like, oh, you're different. Wow, that's cool that you're different. Because I think I might have had experience when I was younger of like, not all the time, but you're different, ha, ha, ha. But also, you know, you're, you're kind of cool because you're different. I, I felt both. Kids, they're just, they've got a lot to deal with. So it's kind of, man, let's use our energy for something better. Instead of like fighting off bad things, let's, you know. Actually, the subject matter doesn't matter. I want, I'm trying to teach like an attitude, you know, hopefully, or, or uh, a sentiment. And then what about you? What, what are you learning? You know, the weird thing is I'm learning that I guess I, I not, I'm not as smart as I thought I was you know, when I kind of feel like, oh, I know what this kid needs. He needs this. Or, you know. And then they tell me what the problem is. And I'm like, wow, I did not see that coming. You know, I don't know how to help you. Sorry. You know, it's unfortunate. But I think what helps, too, is just articulating things again. You know, it's like you actually learn something. Uh, if you know something and you teach it, you actually you kind of know it better. You articulate it, you know, and you lay it out more clearer for yourself. So I think that's a big thing. I have to repeat these goals. And I guess after a while, I have to make sure, does that still, is that still true for me? Because I'm used to saying it and I keep, it's like I'm on automatic pilot sometimes. But I've been trying to be pretty honest. I think I've been pretty good about being consistent with um, what I think their challenges are that I that I could help with. And again, I... The art part is that's all secondary. It's just, you know, helping them hopefully be a little bit better person. Your father sang opera and he would do so boldly and publicly and, and enjoyed it. And you said, you know, you, you could never do that. And yet you also sing and play guitar yourself. And in particular, you shared with me offline 
you singing a cover of a Grateful Dead song. Mm-hmm. I just want to invite you just to share a little yeah. bit more about the fact that you are a, a multidisciplinary artist and you're good at several things, especially good at some. And yet there's something in that to the philosophy that you're exploring with each of these disciplines, not least being a deadhead. Yeah. <laughs> I think music for me is actually my kind of like my top, my pinnacle, my first love, you know, my, my, and, uh, but I think I, I didn't, I didn't really pursue it because I didn't want it to get tainted. You know, I didn't want it to become a potential job. I mean, not saying that I would have gotten a, whatever, a living off of it, but I didn't want that factor influencing it. So I kept it a secret or, you know, I kept it to myself and, but, you know, now I'm getting a little old and I might as well share a couple things right before I, the the culture around them is it's good and bad but you know I'm I'm taking the good things I've taken out of it is this idea of acceptance the band for me was you know taking chances and they're not telling you they're going to give you something good every night they're they're going they're, what they're telling you is they're going to try and their fans that was enough for their fans like you don't have to be successful every night we just want to see you try and it's not this uh planned out show it's there's spontaneity to it improvisation obviously but and something about that keeps it more interesting the big things i got from him was uh, hearing about how the lead guitarist jerry garcia was talking about you know when he plays music what he really cares about is the next note he doesn't care about what he did before or his past he cares about moving forward and, and exploring and building and the other thing he said was, like, you're only as good as your last performance. And those two things stuck with me. You know, this whole idea of, look what I did 10 years ago. Like, you know, I don't think anyone cares anymore. It was 10 years ago. Like, I can't live on what I did in high school. High school football. I don't know. Whatever. I can't, you know. <laughs> so it was that idea of just kind of staying on top of things and just kind of constantly pushing, pushing yourself. And also accepting that you're probably going to fail a good number of times and you know so what get over it just keep going because when you don't fail it, it's worth it also the, the the fans of the dead the deadheads um they're very forgiving but very you know they listen really deeply intently in the music i've seen the comments where people are talking about rhythm changes and you know all this and it's like oh, i i i didn't hear that but some people get into it a lot or you know you didn't play this the same way as you did 10 years ago well blah, blah, blah. but then they also have this forgiveness too where you know they know if, if the band has a bad night they're they're fine with it i'm probably going on this too much um but i think that's what it is there's risk taking happening there's chances and even seeing that fail th- there's a reward in that you know um it's like watching a competition you see someone try and they they didn't win first place but Man, you still love that person who came in second or third. You saw them sweating and putting it all out there. I think that's super important, you know. And and for them, it's it, you know, first place didn't matter. It was the whole, you know, leaving yourself out there. That's probably where I could work on is you know, putting it all on the table. But you know, I'm still kind of a chicken. I'm <laughs> still kind of scared of doing that. So yeah. Have you come to terms with the fact that you are an artist? I think so. I think, you know, especially after uh, after we first met, I was like, oh, I'm doing an interview. I guess I'm, I guess I'm legit now. No, <laughs> but it, everything builds up. And I think recently I have, um, I think it was actually kind of more recent. There was one moment, actually, a collector, I, I saw her 
I will leave her name out just for privacy because it's, you know, it's private. Um, but I saw her, she'd purchased a piece a couple years ago and, you know, we connected and, and she told me that um, she looks at my work and it helps her kind of like concentrate or, 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 you know, meditate. And, and it kind of took me, you know, and I've heard stuff like that before. And I'm like, oh, you guys are just being nice. And like, I don't know you. Why are you being, you know, it's kind of like your uncle. You know, everything's felt like my uncle's buying my work. Like, you're just doing it because, you, you you know, you think I'm kind of funny looking or whatever. And, you know, pity, you know, pity. But um, when, when she told me this, it's kind of like, okay, people actually are <laughs> getting something out of it. And, and so there there is a weird thing where I am kind of accepting it more and, you know, I think part of it is I put, I, I realized I put the time in, I put the hours in. Um, it's not a guarantee that means I, I should be an artist, but, you know, I know that that's on my side where, you know, all the, I don't want to say sacrifices, but, you know, the trade-offs of doing work instead of going to the party or, you know, whatever. So I, I think I'm kind of coming into it right now. Um, you know, I had a lot of success when I was in my 20s. I think I mentioned this to you. Um, of getting into um, a great gallery when I was 25, kind of a gallery that, you know, it's a goal, like in your career, I want to be in this gallery. I was in it when I was 25. And I remember June, my boss at the time, saying something that kind of might have, you know, influenced me. But he said, you know, when you're really young and you get that much success, it could be a bad thing. (laughs) And that just like uh, burned itself into my brain. And I don't know if it was self-sabotage or what. I think I was just too young to like handle, you know, because like I said, you know, all of a sudden I just have more space because pieces are being sold and, I, and there's my bank account's a little bit bigger and people are saying that your rec- work's great. And I'm thinking, wow, okay, I believe you. I don't know why I've been doing this for a while and I'm not anything different than I was two years ago when no one cared what I was doing. So, um, but I, I, yeah, I think I'm accepting it now. Um, yeah, I mean, I have no choice now. I'm, I'm getting too old to like do anything else. My guest today has been artist Richard Chung. Richard, it really has just been a delight having this conversation with you, Um, also visiting your studio and just hearing about your life, your art, and um, how you see yourself. So thank you, Richard. Thank you, Stuart. Thanks so much. Lives is brought to you on KIOS Omaha Public Radio and is produced by Courtney Beerman. The music you hear playing in and playing out is performed by Andrew Bailey. Podcasts of today's show and others can be found at livesradioshow.com or where you get your podcasts. Subscribe today and please leave a review. I'm your host, Stuart Chittenden. Join me next week as we delve further into the practical and profound possibilities of living well. Thanks for listening. Thank you.